hello and welcome to episode 85 of the 1099 for the week of March 27th, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a writer for No Man's Sky at Hello Games, as well as a former narrative designer at Supermassive Games, which previously released Until Dawn, and a writer for a variety of indie projects, including one produced with a number of Rocksteady and Lionhead folk, Greg Buchanan. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing great. That was the longest intro I've ever done. Like, as I was going through it, I was like, there's a lot of things. I, I talk to a lot of people who have, like, 18 different job descriptions. Uh, but I've always wanted to talk to someone who's actually a, you know, quote-unquote, writer for video games. And I think when I say that out loud and when people hear that, they might not really grasp what you do for a studio, what you do on a day-to-day basis. And so much of this podcast is the process behind different jobs in video games, the process behind jobs in media. So uh, let's say a company like, uh, say, like Hello Games, Massive, uh, Supermassive, or any of the other indie studios you've worked for brings you on. Do you write dialogue, item descriptions, craft the actual narrative, moment-to-moment you know, story? When you get into a project, big or small, how do you kind of figure out where your role is in designing the story or designing any sort of the writing that goes into it? Um, so it can completely depend upon the kind of the company and the project um, and the reason you've been brought on and the and the culture and so on. So, I mean, typically speaking, a game writer will often sort of lean on the side of doing script writing, usually dialogue, um, usually narrative based things. Um, sometimes um, the specific reason you're brought on is to do stuff like item descriptions that kind of lean towards more kind of technical writing uh, for projects, um, very functional mm. things to explain things to players. Um, often the medium can involve both. So kind of doing things that are very much explaining how to play the game, but in a way that feels like a story and, and wraps that up as nicely as possible. Um, in terms of kind of designing the the kind of narrative and the story, um, that very much depends upon the team size um, and the project. Um, so sometimes, and this is the thing that's not often as much talked about in game writing, um, is that often writers will have hardly kind of not much direct control over the general shape of the narrative in terms of the key beats of what happens on a kind of factual structural level um but Mm. they'll be mainly responsible for the kind of expressive way in which that story is told uh, moment to moment which is often the kind of the most important bit for the player in terms of their actual emotional experience of the narrative and and what characters say to them um and often it's kind of the role of of people like the narrative designer at companies as a slightly distinct but overlapping title to uh, do things like um story beats like what happens on a plot level how does this kind of interface with game design um and the the way the player experiences this game particularly on narrative based games um sometimes the terms are completely interchangeable though so it's a kind of slight confusing answer in that you'll often have narrative designers that do write the script as well and they're just called narrative designer because of the company they're at and that's what they call people at that company Mm. sometimes the writer will likewise come up with the entire storyline and have massive free reign so uh that yeah <laughs> can be all, all kind of range of things uh, depending upon what you're what you're doing is there a single narrative designer I know, I know you've done narrative design in the past and when you think about someone who's kind of shaping these story beats in a certain way is there an issue where you only want one person and then some editors around him or him or her or i mean it has to be a too many cooks in the kitchen situation right where you have like a lot of people trying to design a single narrative uh, like let's say you're working on a large game with multiple writers and all these deep character arcs, like similar to one narrative designer, is there one person who writes all the dialogue and kind of the progression for a single character so that 
this character isn't kind of going off in different directions that maybe isn't true to the initial idea of who that character is? Um, so I think, uh, once again, it kind of depends upon the project. Um, typically, I'd say yes, that's often a good idea that you have people who kind of caretake a particular character and steward them through the story, just so that, because uh, you want to, I think ideally, it's great for kind of games companies and these pro- kinds of projects to kind of allow kind of individual voices um, and individual creative styles to come through. But equally, you want the kind of experience to be coherent for the player. And if you have loads of different people writing the same character um, when that's not necessary, um, that can sometimes be an issue. Um, there's a big, big exception for kind of someone like the protagonist, of course. So if you've if you've got your main character, your avatar who you're controlling, um, constantly going through lots of cutscenes, everyone probably has to on a project with multiple writers or narrative designers. Everyone probably has a hand in that character, um, but often it will be the role. If there's, for example, a lead writer, um, it might often be their role to kind of go through and like you might have an, an American TV style structure to kind of go through the scripts and assure that that kind of character consistency is there in terms of the way they speak so that they wouldn't sort of suddenly say something that they would never say in anyone else's scripts. Um, so that can often be the case. Um, I think in terms of the idea of um, being afraid of too many cooks in the kitchen, I think that's actually part of the something that games does quite interestingly because you're you're unless you're making a kind of solo indie game project there are always multiple cooks in the kitchen um so de- uh, working with designers uh, game directors um both those sets of people although they often won't identify themselves as kind of the main sort of storytelling person in the project they'll often have a big role um in how it comes together um suggesting ideas and sort of asking for things to happen um so i say the medium is sort of innately collaborative um and and part of the the difference between game writing and other forms is that you need to be very comfortable working um with other kind of storytellers um and trying to make it kind of all as cohesive as possible i think and this is a little bit of a tangent but have you ever worked on a game where there's a lot of character agency and choice where um there's just a whole bunch of different directions a certain piece of dialogue character can go like have you ever done anything like that Oh, sure, definitely. Um, so in some of my kind of uh, uh, indie projects in my, uh, that I did last year, um, so I made a, um, a few kind of political indie games um, called uh, Paper Brexit and Paper Jump. And in those, um, I worked with kind of other team members on some of them and, and stuff, particularly Jump. Um, but they, they had kind of vast variations where kind of in this interactive narrative text-based adventure style that could go off in loads of different ways. Um, so yeah, I've done that on that kind of in, uh, very kind of small indie level where I'm in total control of everything. Um, I've also done that on kind of bigger projects uh, for various people. So for example, in some of the contract work I've been doing recently, I've been working on a, um, a text-based space MMO. Uh, called uh, Tau Station. Um, it's really coming together nicely. Um, the With that, there's a, a huge number of uh, variations in the way a lot of the missions uh, that I'm writing and the other writers are writing for it can go. Um, so for one, um, I think I have something like six totally distinct paths through a mission and within those huge numbers of dialogue variation and branching and choice that kind of interweave and branch out and branch in again throughout it all and it's it's a really fun uh, opportunity when you have that kind of writing style to kind of um uh, play around with some stuff that the game form can do really well that other mediums can't i think how does that ever become some weird game of like character and dialogue jenga where you're stacking so many things in different directions and maybe at a certain point you think about like um the telltale walking dead game where from episode to episode 
different dialogue trees are cued and created based off decisions you maybe made like eight hours ago. Like, can that get daunting where you're like, oh, I just, I don't want to forget this one thing. And suddenly you're like, wait, I didn't make that decision, but your character is saying something that accounts for something else. Like how complex and kind of intertwined can that get? Well, often you, you need to make sure that you, you don't, you need to, I think I think Ken Levine said something quite interesting. I think he said this. <laughs> maybe maybe misattributing this. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll but I, yeah, we'll pretend he said it. I I think he said something to the effect of kind of in Bioshock that you need to cater for a kind of range of play styles and the way that people approach things. So that some players, um, they'll they'll totally be up for interpreting your story if 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 you if you if, if they're interested in doing so. But a lot of people just want to play Bioshock to kind of go through a kind of shooting game. Um, and and have fun with that without necessarily engaging in kind of Randian dystopia and kind of all these kind of very well-drawn in-depth characters so and likewise there'll be people that want to engage in the story emotionally and have fun with the characters and, and find out about this kind of underwater world of rapture that you find in Bioshock but who don't necessarily they're not necessarily interested in the minutiae of like what mm. specifically happened in this world like the very minute detail but there are some people that are. So you create all these different layers that are accessible to everyone, um, but that don't. That, that some of the content you, you're not forced to remember in a way that if you if you're not playing the game for that reason, you don't have to. So I think with big branching narrative projects, uh, you're exactly right. You have to make sure that you don't pull threads from much earlier in the narrative that people may not remember, and that if you are about to pull those threads, you should attempt to provide kind of context of that and build up to that to remind them um i mean a, a typical narrative structure that a lot of games will have um both for kind of for the purposes of kind of how much it costs to record a bunch of dialogue and create a bunch of paths through a game and for narrative reasons i'll about to explain they'll have a kind of weave in weave out system so you'll have a lot of choices branch out and vary a moment or section of the game and the, then they'll all sort of close in on each other again. So you'll feel like that's your story has been substantially different to another player. But past a certain point, the decisions you made are, are no longer totally altering the story. Like everyone's going to experience that next segment in the same way. And 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 that's just because you can't have a kind of you can't have every single thing you do in a game change the whole game and branch it and make it totally different. Um, so, and and I think I think that's partly for kind of making sure that you don't have to record like incredible amounts of dialogue for dialogue driven projects and uh, or animate incredible amounts of uh, uh, scenes but also so that you it takes the player along story in a way that makes sense and has touchstones and reference points for everyone so that as you were suggesting just then you don't get utterly lost um by sort of not having having made a decision way earlier and it not being clear to you right now that you made this decision it being referenced again if that if that sort of answers your question yeah it does uh also i would assume and editing something i talk a lot about on this podcast uh, especially you know when i was writing for GameSpot or ign you know you have those people who make sure when you have one set of eyes looking at something after a while it just, it just glazes over and you might just miss normal mistakes you would make or normal things that you would catch otherwise so especially when you're dealing with stories of you know this level when you're designing narratives that branch and go in different directions what's the editing process like for really a team of any size like how many people actually see your work before it's implemented into the game uh, of course you can you can patch things nowadays so if there are these minor text issues you can change them but you know it doesn't look good to have the wrong there or your in there for example so i mean <laughs> what's the kind of editing process like for narrative design or game writing in your experience 
so I think I think it, I mean once again, as with some of my answers before, it, it will depend upon the studio and the culture yeah. and the project and so on. But I mean, partly you'll have to make sure that before you present material to someone else, that you've ideally, as a writer, not only read through it to check for those kind of things, but played through it. So the kind of sooner you can get things in engine or even prototyped. So one thing I use a lot with um, a lot of my writing, regardless of the tool I'm using, is um, Inkle studios uh, have a kind of markup thing called ink um where you can kind of do nice branching narrative projects um that kind of export really nicely to unity um, and i use that for a few projects um, but i'll often kind of prototype branching a narrative things in there so that i can play through it and have a feel for what it's like to play before i show yeah. someone else and often i'll make a number of edits before i show anyone else because it would just become clear to me that that kind of cool sounding idea i had doesn't make any sense or doesn't feel right in terms of the options i'm playing sort of putting a different uh, hat on like pretending i'm a player uh, for a bit with that um so so there's the kind of self-editing process um if there are other writers on the project they're your peers you'll often kind of look at each other's work so uh with the uh tau station project i mentioned before we uh there's a number of writers working on that because it has vast content requirements uh being in a mo we'll play each other's work um and kind of comment on each other's work at kind of the stage of pitching the story idea um at the stage of kind of it being ready for kind of the game the lead writer or um, the lead designer to play um everyone will sort of go through each other's stuff uh note down typos hopefully not too many typos uh one thing i, I often get caught out on is britishisms uh news and things like that where in some projects oh, where yeah. there shouldn't be. you're adding that you in color and someone's yeah, like uh-oh gotta get that I out yeah, so there's there's a lot of those uh, that I, that I I often um, don't even see uh, that is great for other people to catch. Um, depending upon the game, often you'll have as well kind of uh, uh, review, some of the kind of bigger AAA projects. You often have reviews where uh, kind of higher level studio management will sort of play through your content um, that you've created and give feedback on it often before a lot of later stage things are added um, just mm -hmm. so that you can sort of course correct from a gameplay perspective or from a kind of uh, kind of before your know, money resources are spent on, on animating and, and so on for what you've you've created um, using storyboards and so on rather than full uh, stuff um, so so there's there's ideally you have kind of quite a lot of sets of eyes um, looking at something um, in the editing process and then you'll often I mean I frequently got feedback in various directions um, which once again totally depends on the kind of game you're making so sometimes I've had some kind of very kind of uh obscure kind of narrative experiments i wanted to do pretty much where i think oh it'd be cool if a game could do this as i'm sure a lot of people on the internet have have thought of at one point or another why doesn't a game let you do this choice or so on um and so uh sometimes those have been really kind of welcomed uh, sometimes you need to kind of kill your darlings which is a phrase that's sometimes used about you know writing and so on to mm -hmm. to get rid of those things that you you might be really in love with but don't necessarily serve the project they're more sort of serving themselves as a as a fun idea um and often you kind of have to um do things for kind of you have to rewrite things and edit things for purposes that aren't solely in the service of the game narrative uh, because a lot of some games are kind of very narrative driven and the most important thing about them is the story but a lot of projects are about a lot of other things that aren't about story and for yeah. those um you'll often need to make sure that the writing has some kind of large functional element to it so it, it kind of clearly tells the player what they need to do um in terms of a gameplay requirement and um or sometimes you need to just kind of make sure that your kind of <laughs> your giant essay you wrote about how this piece of technology works or something like that is condensed into a very short format that maybe gives uh, some flavor 
uh, for the player and, and, and helps them imagine the world they're in, but which sort of does its job a bit more. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the editing process as, as games itself is such a vast set of different types of kind of cultural artifacts and, and uh, experiences. Uh, the editing process and the writing process can be sort of totally different uh, depending upon what, what you're working on, I think. Um, how how thick is your editing skin at this point? Because, I mean, you are like me. Like when I was a freelancer, I was working for many different sites and you work with different editors and maybe they have different standards. And same with you. You're working with multiple teams, multiple projects. And uh, there are probably times where you get a harsher edit than you would get otherwise. Or maybe, like I mentioned before, there's this something you really want to hold on to, but... Uh, maybe that sentence doesn't work. And I, that always like drove me crazy. I really, and it's something I've worked on a lot as a writer where I, I hate deleting stuff that I know is good, but doesn't fit with the situation. Very often I'll just kind of like stow it away in a file and be like, I'm going to repurpose this for something later. So at this point, are you pretty good with like taking the edit, understanding it, moving forward? Are you one of those writers who not push back in a negative way or an angry way, but push back where like, I think this should stay or, you know, we should... I don't know if this edit is in the right direction. Like, where are you kind of at in that editor-writer relationship? Well, I mean, I mean, of course, I'm. You you have to kind of you have to pick your battles, uh, so to speak, yeah. with some material. So, so you, you don't you don't want to sort of uh, uh, if, if it's a, if it's a kind of minor idea that you think is quite clever and people are kind of suggesting it's it's not in service of the project. You have to sort of sit back and. And, and think about it and think that this, why are you so attached to this idea? Why does this need to be in there? Does this actually have to be in there? And often the edits are totally correct. Um, writing is the kind of thing that a lot of people feel very emotional about, uh, both in receiving it. I mean, that's partly why we love stories and that it's very easy to feel kind of emotionally engaged with good storytelling, um, even if you're not a storyteller yourself. But but when, when you're sort of coming up with stories and writing things, it's very easy to take it personally when kind of something's not right. Um, and, and regardless of whether that feedback is, is, is useful or not. Um, but, but yes, so I've, I, I think I've developed quite a, a thick skin for those kind of things. And, and to be honest, it's, it's a kind of wonderful medium to be in to get that level of kind of, um, critique and really valuable, um, advice, um, from those you're working with. Um, so I say, each project I've worked on has taught me a lot about not just writing for games, but how to write in general yeah. um, and, and how to service a kind of a vast number of different types of people who will be playing the content that you're creating. Um, and uh, I mean, and likewise, just as you said as well, like stashing those ideas away in a sort of folder is often a, a useful thing for those. Um, I would say, however, that like uh, I, I may have like a lot of, I've been quite lucky so far in that a lot of those kind of weirder ideas that I've had so far have often been kind of accepted. Um, yeah. So uh, I haven't I haven't had to stash away too many kind of strange things, but maybe one day I'll make like a weird kind of anthology project that just is full of strange things that that aren't very fun to play. Uh, but I don't know. The one thing I do miss because right now I'm doing um, a lot of community management, social media, and some editing work for Tan Gentleman from Sony Santa Monica, and uh, I love that job and love to write for them. But the people I submit my work to aren't traditional editors, so. Of course, they give me advice on like the tone and stuff. But one thing I do miss from writing for GameSpot and IGN is it's almost like you're getting a free, actually you're getting paid for like writing advice for at a very high level uh, for kind of ideas and concepts. And, you know, when you're in like high school, it's like grammar and stuff. When you go to college, it's more like theory and it's more, you know, how to write. And then now at that level, when I was doing that for uh, those different editors, I was like gaining so much. And also getting paid at the same time. And that's like definitely probably something you're going through too, where you're you're gaining bits and pieces from all these different studios that have different ideas about writing. And instead of changing your entire style, you're just kind of 
adding it, adding it, adding it, stacking it, stacking it, stacking it. So you get to a point where you're getting something unique from each new game, each new person, each new story you're creating. Oh, definitely. Um, I, th- I think uh, I think that's part of what I love about kind of, I mean, as you noticed earlier, I kind of worked for kind of a bunch of different team sites in a bunch of different companies so far. And that's part of why I'm enjoying working on so many different projects. Um, is that it's a kind of, and it's quite quite unique actually for kind of certain roles such as writer to be able to do that in the industry because, you know, if you're a programmer, you're not going to just flip from company to company very quickly or something might look strange on your CV um, in terms of why you weren't you know, there for so long. Whereas with writers, you often get to kind of collaborate uh, with, with a, a large number of teams um, and really learn something, I think, from each other as well. I mean, I think the other day I was uh, there was a Twitter thing about kind of what would be your kind of, piece of advice to kind of freelancers in your mm. field for writing um and i think i said something to the effect of kind of try and try and meet your brief in terms of why you've been brought onto a project try and try and obviously because you've been paid to do it but um but try and do more than that try and kind of allow yourself to be even more ambitious than what you've been asked to do um because often often the expectation for kind of writing and games or storytelling and games is that it's almost a kind of dressing up it's almost a kind of uh, uh, a way to to kind of give purpose for what the player's doing in some kind of imaginative context um for them yeah. um but it can often even in kind of very functional situations you can often do a lot more than you think you can um and that kind of working with companies and kind of trying to kind of give give that kind of to trying to do things that you you haven't even necessarily been been brought on to do um can be really really rewarding um and quite a part of what i love about games and what i'm, I'm learning about games so far i think we've mentioned before but you've worked on projects of varying sizes you know from the bigger AAA to small indie kind of personal projects in your mind is there a great deal more pressure having your name attached to a triple a game the spotlight is brighter Maybe there's more anticipation. Uh, I know recently you look at something like Mass Effect Andromeda and, you know, with the facial animations. And, of course, you're in a different field. You're doing the writing and narrative design. But you look at the facial animations and kind of the, the blowback to that game. And very specific people are being targeted online. And a lot of them are women. And that's an entirely different conversation about how people can be shitty on the Internet. But uh, as a writer, do you kind of have this extra layer of anxiety knowing that, you know, if this game is super anticipated millions of people buy it and it doesn't deliver in the aspect that your name's attached to especially in the edge of twitter you might get called out or you might get singled out well i mean i I think i think it's quite exciting to join projects that have that kind of bigger spotlight to a large degree also because i've been a fan of their titles myself um so I almost feel like I'm joining as a fan who's sort of somehow been allowed to kind of create create the content uh, with those things. So so it's it's enormously kind of exciting to join that kind of larger spotlight. Um, I'd say I'd say larger. I, I I wouldn't have a larger degree of anxiety about that than any other project. Partly because if you allowed yourself to, you wouldn't really be doing the job properly because you have to sort of. It's quite hard with a lot of kind of creative writing in general to kind of get your head in the right space to create the kind of content imagine situations you need to uh, imagine um it can sort of be inspiring and in that you know that there's a lot of people out there who who will play what, what you're what you're doing and and receive it in various ways um so it's that so it's it's certainly kind of an intellectually interesting thing um but i say i mean it it it, it completely depends on the projects and like all the kind of thing you're doing that level of anxiety before something comes out so i mean i'd say particularly 
the, the more like I mean, with some of my indie projects that have been solo projects, when those came out, because I I was creating these things out of thin air and no one had any reason to play them, they had no kind of name or prestige behind them. Um, it was all all decisions had just been taken by me. Uh, in many ways, mm-hmm. you sort of have a an extra level of anxiety there because if 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 if, if people like it that or really like it, it's totally because of you, and if they don't like it, it's totally because of you. Um, whereas the kind of the collaborative nature of the medium, I think, means you can't really think that way in terms of. I mean, I know as you said that that there are kind of people who've been been singled out, um, and, and, that, and that's just uh, terrible. Um, with those situations as well um but I, I think people in general with those situations and others need to realize that a lot of these bigger projects are kind of collaborative endeavors um and i think anyone who's ever worked in in AAA would know that it's it's almost impossible to kind of single out a particular person as having been responsible for x even if from their job title it will seem that way um because games just aren't made in that way um so yeah no so i'd say i'd say i i i i i yeah, you, you've just got to take each project as they come, really, I think. You just mentioned kind of the idea of a solo project or an indie project. And I, I think a lot of why people enjoy those, especially as a writer, is you can, it, it's kind of all you. You can shine in your own way. And there's that anxiety of like, man, if people think this, think this sucks, it's just me. Like, I can't be like, it was this guy. Like, no, my name is literally the only one on it. And I, I do think there, there has to be kind of rewarding to put something out like that. I, again, not to promote what I work for, but like my... My boss, Corey Davis, had been a part of, you know, really huge part of Spec Ops The Line and then went to do other major projects. And when they decided to form Tan Gentlemen, it was just like four people at the start. It was, a lot of that was like, we want to make sure we come through in this, what we want to do. Because when you have, like, you look at something like Assassin's Creed with like a thousand people working on it, maybe it's like a game of telephone where that initial message you had or that initial pitch gets filtered through so many different people. And sometimes that results in a way better project that is collaborative and it builds it snowballs and the ideas keep becoming better and better other times you know maybe you start by wanting to make this sprawling rpg and by the end you're making a game with guns again another first person shooter and it just completely changes so uh do you feel like when you get to do an indie project there's kind of this rewarding feeling of getting your message out there whether it be political whether it be just about you know, life as a whole, whether it be like a journey kind of thing or anything like that, do you kind of have this for you? Do you want to keep making indie games because it can be rewarding and really get yourself out there? Oh, definitely. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting because with, with some of the projects I made and stuff, they're not, they're not really made for the kind of purposes of money or anything. Cause you were, if you were trying to make money, you wouldn't really sort of political in short political indie games. Uh, it's not really uh, made for that reason. Um, so with those projects, I've mainly done them because I kind of, as kind of interesting exercise in writing, uh, where I can sort of play around with certain ideas I'm thinking about. Um, I mean, one thing I've been working on a bunch in my spare time recently has been this kind of uh, Henry VIII game, um, mm. which uh, is kind of not not a traditional kind of uh, game topic either. Um, it kind of feeds into a lot of stuff that I'm kind of thinking about things in the world at the moment, though. Uh, so it's got, I saw this really good um, uh, play in London uh, about Joan of Arc, um, and it was really well done. It was written sort of about, I think about 100 years ago at the moment, actually, um, was sort of in advance of the rise of kind of nationalism and various things at the time. Um, and this performance, it was all sort of it was the original script, but it was sort of almost kind of so relevant to, to, to a lot of things that are happening now and the people staging it obviously be that. And so with my kind of Henry Date game, I'm being able to play around with a lot of language, uh, a lot of form, 
in a way that isn't sort of for any other reason than what I'm trying to do. Um, and with with that kind of writing, can often produce kind of results that are kind of very, very, very different to what you do if you were writing something for someone else's world. You're sort of inventing a, a, a toy box all of your own. Um, I mean, with uh, so so yeah. So I mean, I think I think I quite quite enjoy working on my own projects for that reason. Um, I've also recently started uh, kind of doing some things in other forms as well and playing around. So uh, at the moment, I'm producing a I've, I've written a script for a short a comic. Uh, that's probably going to come out next week, I think. Um, putting it up online. Um, that's likewise been very fun uh, to play around with as a form um, and consider the yeah. similarities and differences between games. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think I'll, I think I'll always continue doing uh, my own projects, um, and hopefully people will kind of continue enjoying playing them because it's always useful to kind of and, and really nice uh, to see those kind of responses. But I think even if people didn't, I'd continue with that. Yeah, and I, I mean, especially when you keep working on other larger projects and building your name i have a feeling more people will be drawn to the solo stuff you do as well you kind of just you know grab a new audience that way uh i had talked to alexis kennedy before who did some work and is doing some work for bioware and dragon age and doing some of the writing we were joking about how when you're inserting yourself into a series or franchise as deep as dragon age with its lore there's like this three foot thick book you need to read you need to dust off and go through all the lore before you start writing anything because you could fall in these traps of oh that doesn't work in this fiction or this doesn't work in the fiction because there's already this set idea of what that series is before he even steps foot so when you join a team late in the development for dlc or even a sequel because uh, i know you've done that before how much research do you personally do into that property into that team into uh the subject matter before you put any sort of words to actually on a page like what's the process of getting to know that world before adding to it so i think it's kind of i mean i've always found that super important um i, I think not not just for kind of respecting the investment that people who've kind of been following that series and enjoy it a lot will have in it but it's also super useful creatively as in part of what draws me to work on other projects is that with you know with existing uh, games and so on um is that it is a thing that people are invested in and there are a bunch of things set up and we can see that people have responded to the story in certain ways and that they have certain questions or certain things uh, they're wondering about. Um, and it's a really fun, I think I mentioned the, the term toy box earlier, it's kind of like getting involved in someone else's, with someone else's toys, um, being able to, to, to use them. Um, so, I mean, my typical process for that kind of thing is to look and see if the studio has, which they usually do, uh, some kind of existing law. Uh, I haven't mm. quite worked on anything that's got kind of what sounds like Dragon Age have. Uh, that would be quite uh, fun. I, love, I really love Dragon Age games, actually. Uh, I'm quite excited about the direction that's going after Trespasser. That's quite good. Uh, but uh, with, uh, with with other projects, um, so I'll, I'll kind of see what kind of they have in the way of existing organized law. Um, mm. I'll kind of uh, go through all those materials. Um, usually they've got repositories of all the existing writing in a game in a way that's very easily accessible in a way that wouldn't be, let's say, on a wiki or on, online with people. So you can very quickly um, go through everything that exists. Um, and part of my process actually with projects like this, uh, ones that I've sort of worked on and have been announced and discussed and ones that haven't, um, has been to sort of use that as the way I enter that enter into that project creatively. So I'll, I'll often sort of invent my own law book using the existing materials. So I'll compile mm. the law in a way that makes sense to me, uh, which sort of would be a bit different to the way it makes sense to other people. Um, and I'll create questions as I go about what sort of doesn't 
make sense to me what i really and, and that's not in an evaluative way it's like hmm this this is strange and, and, and things like that or in the margins all over them on other bits of paper and so on um create kind of questions or points about things that i think don't make sense or haven't explained in the law um or kind of logical connections between things um or things that seem to be dormant in the material that haven't sort of been exploited for storytelling purposes yet like oh, okay this is quite interesting and, and I, I'm, I'm kind of inspired a bit by a lot of comics writing in that sense. So a kind of great writer for this kind of thing is uh, Grant Morrison, uh, who's done a bunch for DC Comics. Um, and he'll often, as a way he approaches his projects, kind of go through a lot of the kind of, you know, the 70 years of Batman comics. And he'll go through them and even the kind of strange things that writers have done throughout the years. He'll sort of pull on those threads, almost like in a really dramatic version of what you said earlier about kind of, if you create a branching narrative conversation, uh, how... Or, game how do you sort of get the player to remember that they made x choice earlier on and, and feedback on it like i think one thing grant morrison did for example was there was this really zany version of batman called uh, that appeared uh, in a very old comic uh, with a very garish bright colored costume called uh, it was like an alien version of batman called the batman oh, yeah. zero and r and uh, this kind of alien version of batman was uh, just looked just like batman except in a strange colored costume uh, who was on an alien planet and who uh, had superpowers and I think was secretly a journalist um, and various things like that. They were basically the character traits of Superman in a really strange way. Um, and I think with that situation, uh, Morrison sort of noticed that, like, oh, that's kind of interesting if someone like Batman and Superman exist in the same world, that there's a story about someone who's just kind of like both characters, like a Batman who, who's kind of very similar to Superman. And uh, what he did with it is he sort of almost retconned it as being a kind of uh, almost a mental breakdown that Batman had and that this is a kind oh, of yeah. very strange psychedelic thing for Batman <laughs> to imagine and it says a lot about his kind of hang-ups and neuroses. Um, and uh, even the phrase Zero and R, it was a beautiful bit of writing with it, was he, on the final page of, of, of one of the issues, it had a kind of um, it's a spoiler warning if you don't want to know anything about Batman, skip ahead by like <laughs> 20 <laughs> seconds or something. But it said... Um, uh, it was the final words his parents said before they went into the alley was because they, they went to go see uh, Arkham. Uh, so they went to go see uh, uh, Zorro at the, the cinema. Um, mm. And his parents said they'd probably throw someone like Zorro in Arkham. Um, like the idea that someone who went around trying to save people like that would probably be a nut job uh, in yeah. this kind of crazy kind of uh, world in which they, they exist. Um was kind of a beautiful bit of writing because the Zoro and Arkham sounded a lot like Zoro and R and that kind of being caught up in that character subconscious all that time. I, I thought that kind of connection, you, you can't easily do that on every single thing you work on. That That's quite a fortuitous coincidence that that sounds like yeah. that. Uh, but but that, that that's amazing. I'd say that's almost like the peak example of how to do something like that really well. Um, and I think with, um, with the projects I work on, I try and go through a lot of material and try and think similarly, is there anything that I can sort of do something with that will help build upon what the existing writers and people who've worked on this game have done um, and really pull on those threads um, and, and, and try and, and do more with it rather than just sort of changing it to be something totally new. Um, so, um, yeah, and, 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 and that kind of almost making a kind of using my questions about a story as the basis for the ideas that I then develop for that story. So something about and, and 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 try also to think about what have other people wanted about that story what what doesn't make because you know it's out there in the the wild what what are other people wondering um because often that would be the same thing that i'm wondering um 
and and then using that as a as a basis for what you do. Um, yeah. it, I mean, because it, it, that that fits what kind of any kind of sequential or episodic story format does. You know, if you ideally with the chapter of a book or with a sequel, it will somehow build upon some latent element of the original that was sort of left open or left hanging. Um, and um, although this is sort of like a uh, works slightly differently and that's like a new writer working on the thing i think viewing it the same way that you're trying to kind of pick up on something that's left been left open about previous storytelling moments and, and kind of continue with those um is a, is a it's a good way of approaching it at least you mentioned psychedelic batman before and now i'd like so hard want something just called psychedelic batman whether it be <laughs> a comic or a tv show or a movie uh, I, I don't know if we can kickstart Psychedelic Batman, but I am now unbelievably into that idea. And if you ever write for a ba- uh, any sort of like Batman fiction, please just add I that in there. Make it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like tie-dye shirt. Like he has to have certain glasses. Like I think he should still wear just like with the mask that's covering his face, but everything else is just like hippie stuff. Uh, we should, he definitely vapes too. That's very important about Psychedelic Batman. Well, the, the most uh, recent, uh, I don't know if you saw the Lego Batman movie, but that sort of had some overtones of that as well. Oh man, maybe they've already created, maybe I'm creating a, like a weird, bizarre, secondary Psychedelic <laughs> Batman in my head. Uh, I, I didn't read the entire three foot, you know, thick Batman uh, lore book. That's my <laughs> problem here. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot a bit here because that's what I do. Uh, what do you think about the current quality of video game writing? Because if, for the longest time, uh, it always seemed like the standard for video game stories, for video game dialogue, for that narrative arc was kind of lower than other media, of course, because there's that interactive nature to it. Early on, you weren't worried about, you know, the story of Dig Dug or anything like that. You know, as we progressed and as we got more advanced, you cared more with The Witcher, with Dragon Age, with certain degrees, Mass Effect, maybe Andromeda has changed things a little bit. Uh I was we were just last week I was talking to Reed McCarter about Ghost Recon Wildlands which I think has really bad writing like shockingly bad at times where it's like how did this get by an editor how did you know the dialogue having one you know the people saying shit balls over and over like how did someone say no that's okay like that's okay for something that we've paid this much money for that we should definitely include that uh for you do you think we're in a good place do you think we have a whole bunch of room to grow do you think uh we've kind of caught up with movies and other different media out there i mean it's interesting because i had a kind of different view on this before i started writing games and certainly before i started working with the kind of range of team sizes um and team types that i have um i, I think there's a definitely a view when you have people sort of that haven't really made games or have maybe made their own games where they get to decide everything by themselves of kind of Oh, I could do better. Um, and sort of, yeah, I think you've seen that a bit. Like, I've certainly seen it with the response to the most recent Mass Effect as people pointing mm. out isolated bits of dialogue and, and, and criticizing them and saying that they could have done a better job. And and in a kind of, I think with those kind of projects, if you imagine that like they were given unlimited power at that company and could do whatever they liked, yeah, maybe they could. But it, it's a sort of disservice to a lot of the people, I think, that they'll be working on various projects to kind of assume that all those elements have kind of not been there for a reason um, that, 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 that isn't necessarily just to do with the fact that games somehow uh, in some people's views have a lower bar, I think, as you said, um, yeah. I, I think, I think if you look at other media as well, it's a useful way of considering this question. So if you look at like film and you look at the standard of film storytelling, now film have, don't have some of the constraints that games have in terms of, 
uh, having to kind of often having the player to do something like the player can move around often there's gameplay that doesn't just involve making decisions I mean you know in like the Telltale style of games of course that is the game and that you're, you're making decisions and so on but in, in a lot of games it's not solely about the story whereas in films it is hypothetically solely about the story but it's it's not so if you look at some of the kind of the more commercially successful movies like the Marvel style studio movies they're the priority there isn't just storytelling it's it's to have exciting fight scenes it's to set up other movies in the franchise um and sometimes that can go spectacularly smoothly uh like i thought the first avengers film was really great fun um and and, and all came together really well um sometimes uh, in my opinion it doesn't quite it, it's fun it's not bad it's just uh you know the kind of constant setups for kind of things relating to the infinity stones they're they're only there to set up another movie and you have a kind of you, you end up having a treadmill of a movie setting up another movie setting up another movie often with the movies having a very similar formula to each other because that's the formula that has worked and has made studio money in the past and nothing's wrong with that like i i, I love marvel movies and a lot of people love marvel movies but to say that that storytelling style of those films which got great reviews and 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 and, and did did well at the box office is somehow kind of doing much different to what a lot of AAA game studios do um, is wrong because a lot of uh, I think the Hollywood studio system and the AAA game studio system in terms of the priorities about how what do people find fun what are people going to enjoy how are people are going to digest this how will this interface the rest of the gameplay um, you know uh, what other games do we have coming out at this time period considering the interconnection between all those things and how they affect storytelling I, I don't think that, that that's different or that the bar is that different between games and, and other media I mean, often you'll have a really great coincidence that uh, uh, a really great project has come together where it's stunningly commercially successful and critically successful. You know, the kind of the last of us of the of the world. Um, oh, yeah. Sometimes you'll have AAA games that kind of uh, do kind of um, are really critically acclaimed, but don't necessarily do as well as they maybe should have done at the uh, with players. Like I, I think you mentioned earlier that. You, you, work with someone that worked on Spec Ops The Line. I mean, that's a great mm. example of that as a, as, a, as a game that sort of is, is really great in terms of its narrative. But I think maybe maybe it did, I don't know, but it doesn't seem to have met certain sales targets and so on. Um, so so I, think, I think there's nothing stopping games having a bar that seems to be equal to other media, but it's more just important to remember that a lot of games aren't trying to kind of exceed any kind of bar. Often they're not made with that even in mind of other media storytelling and I think the the less we sort of worry about this almost Darwinian view of storytelling that storytelling in a media will somehow get better over time as it sort of matures and, and all those kind of metaphors to suggest that gaming's like in its infancy and then it will reach its teenage years and then it will go to college and then you know you're kind of so on like I, th I think the more we get away from that and just think about how to make the most of whatever storytelling opportunities are available on a project the better so I, I think um yeah. Mass Effect, no, no, Mass Effect. Although Mass Effect, I do really like Mass Effect. <laughs> Witcher Three is a is a superb example of that. Like some of the side quests in, in that game, like are just stunningly good. Not just for kind of games writing, but kind of any media. So I think a lot of the kind of side quests in Witcher Three would be fantastic if they were a novel, fantastic if they were a film. Um, and and I think I think people sometimes cherry pick examples when they compare media like this. They'll like. A common thing is often like, when will games get at Citizen Kane? And it's like, are most movies like Citizen Kane? You know, like, when are we going to get another Citizen Kane coming out? Like, 
it, it, it's kind of an unfair comparison. It's like picking up like something that's just amazing and then saying, yeah. why isn't why, why aren't all things like this? And and it's just if you look at the majority of movies, they aren't that great. They're fun, but they're not necessarily the same kind of evaluative criteria. And I think it's a part of a kind of almost a kind of people defending the medium and wanting the things that they enjoy and love to be to have the kind of esteem that they perceive other media to have um and it's it's totally understandable i think but i think I, I don't think we need to worry i think i think games are kind of really great at telling stories and can tell great stories in their own way sometimes you'll get projects whose kind of main goal is to give you an enjoyable time maybe let, let you spend some time in another world but they're not they're not like trying to be the next like ibsen if that makes any sense do you think that the length of some games actually makes it more difficult to tell as sharp and coherent a story because you look at a lot of the more lauded recent game stories are the shorter ones are like a, a three-hour experience or even like a journey which isn't your traditional narrative but tells a story through the environment through uh, different cues uh, same with like inside and stuff like that do you think that maybe the length of a i mean the witcher's kind of directly against that because it's so long but still has so many great moments but do you think maybe games struggle with keeping a tight sharp story together because they you know standard ones eight hours long yeah i think there's definitely i mean there's definitely a view of like oh i paid x amount of money for this why didn't i get y amount of content um and kind of uh which but then you also have people on the other end of the spectrum you kind of often kind of get put off by how long some games are and, and won't get them for that reason so there's definitely a kind of anxiety of a length i think um in with, with players and, and with the industry of, of, of how long certain stories get I mean, it yeah. de I think it depends on the kind of story you're making. Like, I think if The Last of Us 1 was that much longer than it was, um, I don't think it would have been as well received. And that part of the, the value of that script is that it's quite tighter. So a lot is said through the dialogue and through looks at people, through locations you're going through that isn't, like, explicit. Um, and because you don't have opportunities to really delve in, with like you don't have what we call, like, hub-and-spoke dialogue, which is when you um, talk to an NPC and you can ask them, like, 20 million questions about the history of banking in that world and you know so on stuff like that yeah. like you don't you don't have that so you can have these very almost filmic encounters um that that recontextualize what you're doing add a lot of emotional yeah. meaning to it i think video games are too long <laughs> uh which might just be a, a thing about what it says about me I, I feel like the older you get the more responsibility you take on the more that the, the notion of a game being 14 or 15 hours instead of eight is more just like a lot of people i totally understand the idea of getting value out of it and you know bang for your buck and people who are like i'm just getting this one game this month i don't want it to be over in eight hours but resident evil 7 which i enjoyed way more than i ever thought i would because i'm not a huge horror buff but um it it has this moment uh i'm gonna spoil this slightly uh so if you haven't played resident evil world just bear with me um there's this moment where you're about to take off on this like this boat with uh your wife and go off and this is after like eight hours seven hours of gameplay maybe a little bit less um and there's this like thing in my mind i'm like man if it would have just ended there it's way braver it uh kind of keeps with the tone of this and it goes on for another like three hours and explains everything you'd rather have left in the dark and it changes the gameplay so it's much more action focused and at the end of that i'm like oh you know what like I understand there's some people don't like stories completely left unexplained, but part of me is like, man, if games would just leave some things left to the imagination, it's like with the recent Zelda where 
it trusts the players in a way where it doesn't say everything. It lets you discover. And, you know, Dark Souls has been, you know, long praised for that, for letting you discover your own things. I think with stories, sometimes it's better if you just leave it. Let You can attach certain meaning to certain things. And again, to bring Journey up, uh, they didn't have to tell you, you're supposed to feel this emotion right now. Like, it, <laughs> it lets you decide what emotions you want to attach to each sequence. Like, that's one of the only games that I've ever, like, teared up at. And it wasn't like, you know, I was so sad. It was this, it, it, it plays with your emotions in a way where you're like all the way down in the dirt and then it lifts you up in this dramatic, quick way, this huge crescendo. And like, it's almost like you experience so many emotions at once that your, your body doesn't really know how to handle it. Uh, and so many stories are bloated or maybe just games in general are bloated because they want to directly tell you, they almost want to tutorialize the story and how you should feel. And I do think to a certain extent, I would, appreciate more games writing if it would let me figure a few things out myself if that makes sense oh definitely and i, th- I think you answered it yourself as well when you said that not all players want that if that makes any sense and that there are people who feel more uncomfortable with stories ending in that way and i think i think yes that a lot of stories could you know if, if they get you know i think it's what you said earlier kill your darlings if, if certain bits were cut that can sometimes make the experience a lot tighter and it can leave more things open in the imagination. Um, you do have to kind of consider almost that, as I said, that kind of Ken Levine quote earlier, which once again may not be a Ken Levine quote, but <laughs> we'll pretend it is anyway, um, <laughs> is that uh, you have to make sure you cater for a kind of variety of, of types of, of players as best you can. Um, I mean, I guess the only other hypothesis is that if you want certain kinds of stories, then you sort of have to almost like, bravely attempt to exclude part of your audience by not having, but even if you know that a bunch of players would rather have something explained, not explaining it, um, is is a sort of deliberate and brave artistic decision to make um, that I think often can pay off. Um, It is interesting, though, with some of the examples you mentioned, but like to think about, though, how they actually work mechanically. So like Dark Souls, I I think is, once as you said, like a great story because it's so subtle and you have to find out a lot of it from items and the world and so on. But with this story, with a lot of people that lord the story of Dark Souls, I like, did they actually do that? Did they actually go through all the items in the game and kind of manually figure that story out themselves? Or did they often look it up or kind of look either in a wiki where you go through the items or you sort of see an article on a site like Eurogamer or something explaining this is the story of Dark Souls or on Reddit? And I've loved looking at those kind of articles. They're, they're really fun and the kind of theorization that goes around them and stuff. And, and that's part of almost the kind of the community that is generated outside of the game around it, even just by the involvement of looking up what is the story of Dark Souls or kind of finding that out and stuff. And, and that then enhances your enjoyment of what you've just done. It's like, oh my God, that game is so subtle. It didn't tell me all of that, but that was all there all along. But you then remember that it, it wasn't there all along. Like part of your enjoyment has been generated by finding out from elsewhere, what that was, oh, um, totally, or, or filling in the background, which is still a totally, in many ways, it's, really, it's almost like Dark Souls is like an arg, if you know what I mean, like your <laughs> own game, and that it, it generates that kind of community and that way of doing it. And I haven't played Dark Souls three yet, but I've heard that in particular with that game, there's a lot of kind of hidden things in that game. Yeah, there are that are almost so specific that you'd almost never discover them without having found out about them online. And uh, and if, if that's the case, then I'm sure all of the players who play that feel really great when they do it. It's like, oh my God, I'm playing the secret thing. And they, they really love that. But it's not really secret and that someone put that on the internet for you. So it's this kind of, it, it's it's really fun and it's, it's a different style of storytelling. But like, I think you have to be 
careful with that level of bleakness um, in in a way that I think other media like film and novels likewise struggle with. So with a lot of kind of really kind of subtle, tight, open stories, they're often classed more as like literary fiction or indie cinema. Yeah. It's it's so weird now because we've been trained to, in the same way we've been trained to expect tutorialization in how we play a game. Same thing with how the story's delivered, where we're kind of expected to be spoon-fed it a little bit. Um, so there is that refreshing nature to a Dark Souls or a, a Bloodborne or something like that. But there's also like the, I don't know how to interact with this anymore because it's been so long <laughs> since stories have been delivered in this way. Where you are looking up different articles and Reddit threads uh, for the game that, I, last time I'll promote this, I promise. For the game my name is tied to with Here They Lie. Uh, I wrote about this that the studio because I, I didn't actually like they made the game. I'm you know someone who is involved in the backing with different things. When I was talking to them about building the story, it is an obscure game on purpose, and there's that balance between what should we really say and what should we leave the player to figure out themselves. Like because I, I do think there's that enjoyment now with walking away from something, going on a Reddit thread, and just talking about it and putting your theories out there. And that was one of the most rewarding things for me was reading these theories about, like, I think it's about this. And someone coming back and be like, I think you're entirely wrong. I think it's about this. And there's fun in that. There's fun in discussing it instead of being like, all right, we know that, like, Call of Duty's story is this. Like, you can try to say, like, oh, there's different things. Like, no, I'm not saying it's poorly written. I'm saying it's directly written, and it's telling you what it is. Uh, With a Bloodborne and Dark Souls, you might have those obscure secret things that only maybe certain players see and they love it or you might have a game like journey or i'll say here they lie where uh there's kind of a main thread you can go through but on the way how you think your opinion on different things colors how you actually view how it concludes or how this certain moment uh looks to you and i do love that variation in story and that's kind of what i've been leaning toward more instead of the you know, kind of overwritten, really long game, more of these like, all right, we, we're going to tell you a story that your experiences paint how this looks to you. And that's been really fun. I, I do love how much variation that um, the lower budget of an indie game allows us to see now where we don't need, you know, either a super direct story or a really bloated story. We can experiment with that and try new things. Sure, and, and remembering as well that, that, that that's partly because, like I said, just then you know, with film and kind of with novels, it's partly because the indie game audience is the kind of audience that that is going to be receptive to that. So it's not it's not just about the kind of the conditions of like what the studio is trying to do. So it's an indie studio as opposed to AAA, therefore they can do X, Y, and Z. It's that the kind of people who play indie games or like are interested in that kind of game will often be used to that kind of level of variation. Whereas like a lot of people playing buying AAA in games may really like good storytelling and really want to play that but they're not necessarily it's a bit stranger if you do get that more of that stuff and you sort of have to 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 explain the presence uh of, of what you're doing uh there more i think uh last thing because i don't want to keep you too much longer um two big things i guess uh one where can people find you on social media because that's important and two uh what projects are you working on that you could talk about what what kind of writing work are you doing that you know as you know there's always i know this too you sign a lot of things you can't say a lot of things what can you actually talk about right now uh so in terms of uh, social media things um there i'm on twitter uh, which is just at greg buchanan uh which you'll see the spelling of in the site for this <laughs> podcast probably um and i have a, a kind of portfolio site that's linked to on there as well uh, that lists various things i'm working on and so on uh that's just greg buchanan uh, uk um and the comic I mentioned uh, is going to be probably be up there in a bit as well, so that'll probably be 
updated soon. I'm quite excited about that. Uh, so in terms of uh, current projects uh, that I, I can talk a bit more about, um, I'm uh, working on um, working the projects you've mentioned. Um, I'm working on uh, a kind of uh, uh, MMO called Tau Station, um, which has been really fun and rewarding. Um, a, a big thing we're trying to do with it is uh, product value accessibility um, uh, to allow a lot of people to kind of get invested in this universe. Um, and um, it's been it's been really uh, great creative opportunities offered there um, in a kind of um, futuristic uh, space setting um, where um, uh, mankind sort of experienced this kind of uh, catastrophic event and are trying to sort of rebuild and stuff. So uh, that's super good. And uh, that I think the alpha for that is launching later in the year. And there's a link on my website to a kind of newsletter you can sign up to where you can get a chance of joining uh, the alpha. Um, I'm working for a studio called uh, Salix Games. Um, who are composed, I think I mentioned, of some, some people who worked at Rocksteady. Um, so I'm uh, uh, working on an unannounced narrative adventure game set in Victorian London, which is, uh, I may do that on Fridays actually, so that's quite a different uh, uh, thing from uh, the outer space settings I'm writing for other things, uh, but it's quite fun. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. Um, and uh, I'm also working on uh, some other things uh, that I that haven't even been announced yet, uh, my involvement in. Um, so you, you often have projects you can't really talk about as much that you have projects whose existence you can't really even acknowledge <laughs> for some other companies <laughs> and so on. So, uh, so I'm, I think I'm starting work on some of that uh, soon elsewhere. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I'm also working on um, a kind of solo project as I mentioned earlier about uh, Henry VIII. Um, it's called um, Acts of Supremacy. Mm. And uh, we got greenlit on Steam a, few, a month or two ago. Uh, for that um, and working with a bunch of cool people uh, on that and so on uh, so yeah um, so I'm working on all those all those projects uh, kind of range of different settings and writing types um, and um, I think I'm excited for more more stuff to come out and to, to re read what obsessively what everyone's saying about it on the internet <laughs> <laughs> the life of anyone involved in games uh, Greg thank you so much for doing this I my future my, hopefully my future involves uh, actually doing narrative design and writing for games and doing different dialogue and stuff like that. So I have a feeling I'll be bugging you a couple of times before sure. I reach that point to be like, hey, how the hell do I do this? And is this make any sense? And do I suck at writing? Which is usually what I ask a lot of people. Uh, and yeah, it, it's cool to kind of get the behind the scenes stuff like this because I, I do think so often people see or you know read dialogue see stories and don't really know how any of that stuff actually happens and i think it's important to you know educate on that kind of stuff and talk about it and uh put that out in the open so thanks so much and i can't look you know can't wait to actually see all your writing in action all the stuff you're doing great all right well uh thank you everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099